It's time now for the complete story with Rich Bot, a public news and information feature of Bot Radio Network to keep you informed about the most important issues of our day. Now, here is Rich Bot with today's complete story. Well, welcome to Complete Story again today, folks, and I want to give a special welcome to our new listeners in Rapid City, South Dakota, and also new listeners in Fort Smith, Arkansas. These are our two newest stations on Bot Radio Network, and we want to welcome you to our family. You know, Bot Radio Network is here to present quality Bible teaching with Christian news and information, the Bible teaching to help you grow in your faith and Christian news and information to help you apply your faith in your daily lives, because we want you to become not just a hearer of the word, but a doer also. So welcome to our new listeners in Rapid City and also in Fort Smith. God bless you. Our listener line is 1-800-345-2621. And we do value and appreciate hearing from our listeners. If you have something you'd like to share with us, maybe our broadcasting has been a particular blessing in your life. We love to hear those stories about how God is using the teaching and preaching and uh, uh, wonderful uh, Christian talk programming of Bot Radio Network in your life, 1-800-345-2621. Our guest on today's complete story is Dr. Erwin Lutzer. Now listen, folks, uh, for 36 years he's been the faithful senior pastor of the historic Moody Church in Chicago, Illinois, and uh, most recently now the host of the Running to Win radio broadcast here heard here on Bot Radio Network, including Rapid City and Fort Smith, Arkansas. Dr. Lutzer was born in 1941, the youngest of five children, born to Gustav and Wanda Lutzer. Raised near Colfax, Saskatchewan in Canada, I might say he's also now an American citizen, United States citizen, we might ask him about that. But he earned his degree in Winnipeg Bible College, and then a a master's degree at Dallas Theological Seminary, and then a master's in philosophy at Loyola University. Isn't that a Catholic university? It is. Loyola, interesting. And an honorary uh, doctorate at Simon Greenleaf School of Law. But the most famous for being a a faithful, powerful preacher of the gospel, faithful to the word of God, prolific author, and we're so blessed to also have him on the the Running to Win radio broadcast. One of the premier pulpiteers in our nation today, Dr. Erwin Lutzer, welcome to The Complete Story. Well, yes, and you're being very kind in your introduction, Rich, but as I like to emphasize, I'm so glad for the partnership that we have with Bot Radio. Uh, Many people listen And we hope that uh, if you're a listener, why don't you call your friends and invite them to listen to Running to Win. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now, uh, tell me what that was like for the first time when you were able to stand up in the pulpit and address your your, your congregation by saying, my fellow Americans. Oh, yes. That was about 12 years ago. I was here on a green card. And, uh, you know, my wife is an American. My children were born here, so they were Americans. So I decided that it was time that I became an American citizen, and I addressed the congregation that way. Now, many people didn't even know that I was not an American citizen, but, you know, I'm proud to be an American. Mm -hmm. Canada is wonderful, too, but it's got its own problems. Uh, There are some things happening up there that are very distressing. Canada was always behind the United States in terms of trends. Somewhere in the last 20 years, they became ahead of the United States in a bad way, in terms of liberalism, especially such things as uh, hate speech. I have a friend in the Toronto area 
who takes his morning service, his Sunday morning service, and broadcasts it on television. And because he preached about homosexuality, now censors have to okay the program on a Wednesday and approve it for broadcast on Sunday. So that is happening now in Canada. And there was a man who spoke against Islam, and uh, he was given, I think, 300 hours of uh, programming. And uh, what's the word when you need to get in line with uh, Islamic teaching? And so that's what's happening in Canada. Total submission to Islam, complete submission. Present prime minister attends mosques, etc. And um, also hate speech laws, which really curtail a person's ability to preach the word. We're not quite that far yet in America. We can see those things on the horizon, can't we? On the horizon, yeah. Well, your most recent book, Rescuing the Gospel, is about uh, Martin Luther and uh, 500 years ago, this this October, 500 years, when he nailed the 95 Theses to the Wittenberg door and uh, started the—I don't know if you, you would say he started the uh, Reformation movement, but it was certainly a very important uh, point in the Reformation. How would you describe that? The, the way I describe it is this. When Luther nailed the 95 Theses to the Castle Church door, he did as a loyal son of the Catholic Church, totally committed to the Church. He had no intention of beginning a Reformation. But what happened is it's something like a person who pulled a stone out of a mountain and began an avalanche. Mm. As his 95 Theses, which were critical, of course, of indulgences, as they began to spread throughout Germany and he was invited to debates he finally realized that his differences with the church were much greater than he realized. When he took the conviction that the Bible alone is the basis for authority, that necessitated a break from the church. No more superstitions, no more praying to saints or to Mary, no more purgatory. From now on, we go only with what the Bible says. So yes, it is correct to say that that started a Reformation, even though that wasn't in Luther's heart at the time. Now, your book is not only about history, what happened 500 years ago, but why it's relevant today. And I'd like to ask you questions about uh, what would Luther say to the church today? Well, you know, I think I want to begin by saying he would tell pastors especially, but a lot of others also, be willing to put your life on the line for truth, and that was his right. You know, Luther at the Diet of Worms, he was brought there, of course, he, he volunteered to go there to meet the emperor, Charles V. And um, he's standing before the emperor, and they ask him whether or not he's willing to recant, and he says, give me until tomorrow. That night he prays an awesome prayer, and it's in my book, and I'm doing it here just simply by memory, a couple of sentences. Oh, God, he prays, in effect, Will you be with me when my body is quartered? He expected to be put to death because that was what Charles had in mind. Yeah, but Charles, you said the word quartered. That's a particular kind yeah, of torturous yeah, death, it, isn't it? It's a torturous death. He said, when I'm laid on the rack, are you going to be there? God, this cause is not mine. It's yours, but give me the courage. And so the next day, I hate to think what church history would be like if he had buckled. But the next day, When he said, my conscience is taken captive by the word of God, I cannot and I will not recant, so help me God to go against conscience is neither right nor safe. And uh, there was a hush in the room, and Luther left, 
and Charles wanted to kill him right there, but he had given him safe conduct. And also, Charles needed the support of, the, of Germany in order to fight the Turks. Mm. One of the reasons that Luther was not put to death is because the Turks were circling Vienna, and Charles needed the support of the Germans, the troops and so forth, to fight the Turks. And when you and, say Turks, that's yeah. just not a, just a foreign army, but that's Islam. Islam, yeah, the Islamic Turks. The, Luther lived during the time of what is called the Ottoman Empire. And every day he was receiving words about what was happening. And, uh, you know, maybe Rich— Was that a caliphate? Uh, there was. There was in Istanbul, uh, former Constantinople. And what they're talking about today is a, is, is a, a revival of that. Yes. Yes, a revival of that. And there are many Muslims who hope for a revival. Because you have to understand, uh, you know, Islam occupied Spain at one time. They occupied uh, France, uh, perhaps not France, but Greece and other countries. And so uh, they were constantly expanding. As a matter of fact, you asked me the question, what would Luther say to the church today? Mm -hmm. At times, I've given a lecture, basically an hour lecture, on Luther's view of the Turks. And the reason that he studied Islam, Luther believed that um, the Quran should be translated into German. Some, some people say he did the translation. I don't think so. But he said, why hasn't it been translated into German earlier? Because he believed that if you read the Quran, you would find out, quote, what a foul and shameful book this is, end of quote, from Luther. And therefore, he believed that the best way to counter Islam is to study it. And he gave three reasons why it was unchristian, and he actually called it satanic. First of all, because it fights against heaven. He says it fights against heavenly rule because it denies the divinity of Jesus, not only the divinity, but it denies that Jesus died on the cross. As you know, in Islam, in Surah 4, I forget, I think it's 153 to 158, it says that they thought they crucified him, but they crucified him not. And uh, Muslim scholars disagree as to who they crucified in the place of Jesus. But the point is, Jesus did not die on the cross. And then also, Jesus is a prophet in Islam, but not as great as Muhammad. Muhammad is the great and the last. So Luther says they fight against heavenly rule. Secondly, because of the violence and their love of the sword, the cutting off of the head, and taking delight in torture, he said that they actually fight also against earthly rule. And then he says they fight against the family because a man can have up to four wives. He can divorce them very easily. There are no women's rights. So Luther warned the churches of Germany. He wrote a book on the Turks. And this is what he says, and this is what I'm going to say to the pastors who are listening. And if you are a parishioner and you're not a pastor, I want you to listen, and I want you to tell your pastor what I said. <laughs> Luther says that what pastors have to do is to prepare their congregations for the coming of the Turks, that they might not submit to Islam, and if possible, they might actually lead Muslims to Christ. So this was Luther's admonition. Now you think of the number of pastors, and as you know, I just returned from Europe, mm -hmm. really, three days ago, uh, four days ago, and um, there in uh, Europe, no pastor, no politician, 
would ever say anything negative about Islam. They are vilified if they do that. They are ostracized. They are called names because you do not say that. And Luther would say to the pastors, look, there are some things in life that are more important than living. And one of those things is to be true to your conscience. One of those things is to tell your congregations the truth. You can do it lovingly. Not sure that Luther always did it lovingly, but we can do it lovingly. But we have to prepare them for what is coming. And uh, pastors are just scared absolutely out of their minds about mentioning something like this. And yet that's exactly the instruction that Luther would give if he were alive today. He'd say to the pastors, when you hold to truth, you will make enemies. Truth always makes enemies. So expect it, accept it, and rejoice in the fact that you are counted worthy to serve to uh, suffer on behalf of Jesus. And he also encouraged people to try to win Muslim converts, win Muslims to Christ. Is that is that right? Did I hear you correctly? You heard me correctly. You know, there are those who say, you know, Luther spoke against Islam and all of these passages, and some of them were very strong, by the way. I, mm-hmm. I didn't quote the strongest. But uh, then they say Luther had absolutely no interest in missions. Well, he wasn't mission-minded in the usual sense, where he thought that Germans should be sent to other countries. But in a number of places, he said that possibly the Turks can come to saving faith in Christ, and Christians should be open to that. So he was not saying that, um, you know, they are Muslim Turks, let's not witness to them. He did know that the only way Islam has ever been stopped is with the sword— Luther was totally opposed. This is very important for our listeners. Luther was totally opposed to a holy war. He'd have objected to the Crusades. Now, the Crusades were perfectly valid, but they were fought in the wrong way. You know, they were fought under the banner of the cross. Luther would say, though, if your magistrate, if the worldly powers ask you to go to war, you absolutely go to war. And so Luther encouraged the soldiers to go to war, but not as Christians fighting Muslims. You know, that's a distinction that may be lost on us, but to him it was incredibly important. And so uh, he knew that oftentimes the only way Islam is stopped is because of that. Now, now there's a verse in A Mighty Fortress is Our God that relates to that, and he, uh, yeah. he wrote that, didn't he? The body they may kill, God's truth abideth still, his kingdom is forever. Mm -hmm. By the way, if you saw all that Luther wrote, they would be, and uh, I know we're on the radio here, but they would be about three feet, (laughs) take up three feet of space on a shelf. Nowadays, you can put it on your cell phone, I'm sure. How did he do that? And how did he write all of these songs? And how did he give table talks? He held court. And by the way, I was in Europe a month ago leading a tour to the sites of the Reformation, and I actually saw You know, the actual table where Luther ate around with his students, where he held court, is still there today. And how did he do all that? But yeah, the body they may kill. Let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also. Mm. The body they may kill. There we have it. And so what Luther would say. Now, by the way, I have a quote in one of my books about what Luther says. What does a Christian do when you look around... And you see no reason to believe that God is on your side. 
I mean, this was true of the Germans. Here they get reports about how Hungary had fallen to the Turks and other nations, and the Turks were overrunning these areas. What does a Christian do? And I'm paraphrasing Luther here, but it's going to be a great blessing to all the listeners, I believe. He said this, At a time like that, the Christian believes God's bare word. There are times, Rich, when we go through times which are so dark, so discouraging, so hopeless, that we have nothing to turn to except the promises in God's bare word. And that's what Luther advised when it looks as if there is nothing else to hang on to. So how do we know God's word? How do we get it in our hearts so that it comes to us in times of testing? Well, that's the responsibility of a pastor as he preaches the word. It's the responsibility of parents who teach their children the word of God and to help them to apply the word of God and uh, so that the word of God may be in our hearts. Thy word have I had in my heart that I might not sin against thee, the scripture says. And that's a lifelong journey. And we have to be willing, as you said, to lay down our life for the truth. And I see these pictures of these Christians over uh, where where ISIS is taking over, and they're marched yeah. onto the beach, and they're they're about to be beheaded. If they if they only recant, then they could be their life could be saved. Yeah. But rather than recant their faith, they're willing to lay down their life for the truth of the gospel. And the average American is so timid that they don't even want to be identified with Christ. They won't bow their head in a restaurant and pray, lest somebody across the way think, oh, they're weirdos, they're Christians. So we're not willing to take the reproach of Christ at all. Hmm. Uh, generally. They don't want to offend anybody. They want to be uh, nice. and, And you can't be true to the gospel without offending somebody because the cross has with it an inbuilt offense. And so what you have today is truth is sabotaged, and niceness Mm. is put in its place. We all want to be nice. We all want to be liked. And so that's what it comes to. I heard someone say that trouble with most Christians today is that they want to be nicer than Jesus. I'm (laughs) I'm actually writing that down, Rich. I kind of (laughs) like that. Nicer than Jesus. Jesus wasn't always nice. But he was always truthful. He was always truthful. It's like C.S. Lewis says he's actually a lion. And he has claws that are, he has paws that are just as soft as velvet, but they also have claws, don't they? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. In terms of witnessing to someone that's uh, involved in Islam, I heard somebody say that the common touch point is Jesus. And you don't talk about trying to convince them about Christianity, but you talk to them about who Jesus is, because that's a common touch point that you have. And you can start talking about who Jesus is and the fact that he really did die on the cross for our sins. All right. Whenever I get in a cab in Chicago, nine times out of ten, it's with a Muslim. I witness to them nine times out of ten. So this is the way it goes. Okay, you know, they may have a Quran on, in their uh, car or so forth. So I say, you're a Muslim? Yeah. I'm a Christ follower. I don't use the word Christian mm-hmm. because it has too much baggage. And then I say, you know that in the Quran, Jesus is actually spoken of as having done more miracles than Muhammad. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We honor Jesus. We believe that Jesus is a prophet. That's the way the discussion goes all the time. Then I say, if you had a dispute with the president of the United States, would you supply the mediator or would the president have to bring a mediator to bring the two of you together? Oh, oh, you know, the president would have to do it. 
All right, in the very same way, Jesus is actually a mediator between God and man. He's the only one who's qualified to bring us together. And then I'll say, as the discussion develops, you know, there's something in our Bible that isn't in your Quran, which if you were to believe, you could be in heaven with me. Well, what is it? Are you sure you want to hear that? Because I'm telling you, it is not in your Quran. It is only in the Bible. Well, what is that? I've never yet had a Muslim say, no, I don't want to hear it. I say that Jesus actually died on the cross as a sacrifice for our sins so that he could bring us to God. And if you were to trust Jesus, he could do something that Muhammad never claimed that he could do, namely, take your sin away and make you perfect before God. Only Jesus can do that. Now, notice a couple of things. Mm -hmm. By that time, you know, the 10, 15 minutes in the car is over. Notice a couple of things. Number one, I don't get into the Trinity because that's such a stumbling block. Uh, Number two, I make Jesus look good. Number three, I've never yet had an argument, which really doesn't get you anywhere. And I didn't antagonize anybody. And then what you do is you give them a gospel of John or a gospel of Mark and say, these are stories about Jesus. Read them. And you leave that witness with them. So in 15 minutes, I've explained the gospel as well as I can in the 15 minutes that I have. And um, a witness has been given. A seed has been planted that I'm going to trust the Holy Spirit to grow. And that's, a, that's also a word of advice that you said that Martin Luther gave to the church, is to win those that are among you, and uh, that we can do that in our day. What else would he have said to the church today? Well, I think that what he would have said is that uh, stay close to the gospel. You know, for Luther, the gospel was everything. And what you find is that in churches today, there okay, is okay, this but, feeling— Uh, We're speaking to a lot of people. Define what you mean by the gospel. The gospel is not just that Jesus Christ died for our sins, and we all know that that's the heart of the gospel, but it also is this, that if we trust Christ, we receive the righteousness of God as a gift so that we stand righteous before God legally forever. Luther was not a Christian when he was confessing his sins up to six hours a day in the monastery. There are millions of people who will be in church this weekend, and they will confess their sins, but they will leave without the assurance that they have been permanently forgiven and they belong to God. Why? That that assurance is so important. Yeah, because the reason for that is because they don't understand the gospel. See, if you believe in the Mass, the Mass only takes care of past sins. So you leave the Mass, and by Wednesday, you've committed some new sins. And so those sins accumulate, and you hope you're going to live until Mass on Sunday again. I had a very famous Catholic friend say to me, you know, the way you know you're going to heaven is take the Mass real often, because in between, it's possible to have sinned. So there's no assurance. What Luther discovered is that when the righteousness of God is applied to us, It is a righteousness that is a permanent gift that takes us all the way from here to heaven. Your standing before God is secure. And so he would say that this security, this knowledge that you actually belong to God is the heart of the gospel. Jesus got what he didn't deserve on the cross, namely our sin. We get what we don't deserve, namely the gift of his righteousness. And Luther would say that, That's something you have to remind your congregation of 
all the time. Well, does that re- relate to the just shall live by faith? That's the heart of it. The just live by faith. But not only to believe the gospel, the just also live by faith in terms of um, the fact that every day we look to Christ and remind ourselves that he is our righteousness. We never get beyond the gospel. So we share the gospel. We preach the gospel. Exactly. And then what? Well, and then, of course, once you have believed the gospel and you continue to believe the gospel— If we're thinking that Luther has something else to say to the church, he has much to say to the church. For example, another thing, you asked me the question, Mm -hmm. what would Luther say today is, he would say that we have to stand against Satan. In the Wartburg Castle, by the way, Luther was on his way home from the Diet of Worms. Five men jumped out of the ditch and uh, they uh, captured him. And they took him to the Wartburg Castle. And they actually were his friends. It was a setup by his elector, Frederick, who sided with Luther. And because Charles had issued a decree that whoever finds Luther after he gets home may kill him without reprisal. So in order to preserve his life and make sure that he would not be killed, Charles took him, his men took him into the Wartburg Castle. And it is there... And in that room, I've been there many times. When I was there a month ago, a camera crew came with us because they are going to be making a documentary on the Reformation that will be out in October, the 500th anniversary. It is said that Luther threw an inkwell at the devil. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Tour guides used to rub a little bit of soot on the wall because, you know, you pay so much to go to Europe. You You want to see the ink on the wall. You want to see the ink on on the wall. But actually, I don't think he threw an inkwell at the devil. He said in his table talks, I fought the devil with ink. He fought the devil with the translation of the New Testament into German in just 11 weeks. And that translation was absolutely powerful. And um, my parents read to us from the German Bible, huge. And uh, what he did is he said that, and that's how you fight the devil. You don't throw an inkwell at him. There isn't a demon in the world who would say, boy, I'm glad that one missed me. You want to fight the devil? You give them the word of God. Mm-hmm. But in there, uh, he really did have a tremendous amount of struggle with the devil. And uh, one of the questions that we have to ask and what we can learn from Luther is this. How do we fight the devil? He would say that We fight the devil with the word of God. When the devil comes and shows us all of our sins, what we do is this, we agree with the devil. (laughs) You know, there's that famous story, Luther says, that when I go to bed at night, the devil shows up and reminds me of all my sins. And I say, yes, Satan, and you actually left some out. (laughs) It's much worse than you think. And the question is, um, are you more righteous, by the way, than I am? And uh, what about your sins? What are you doing about them? And then after Luther would list his sins, he would say, but the blood of Jesus Christ, God's son, cleanses us from all sin. You fight the devil by reminding him of what Jesus did for you. 
This was back at a time when Martin Luther uh, was persecuted greatly at risk for his very life because he stood for truth. And in today's church, so often we see pastors capitulate to the cultural relevance of our day. They don't want to become criticized by the newspaper. They don't want maybe somebody from their denominational headquarters to criticize them for standing firm for the truths of Scripture. I wonder if today we're speaking to some pastor who's been in a church many years and has never spoken against same-sex marriage, or for that matter, given messages that will help the people accept some of the restrictions of our freedoms that are happening today, and will actually also prepare them for our national submission to Islam, because we are doing that. You know, when we were in Europe, we heard that in England, they are contemplating, I don't think they've done it yet but taking the Holocaust out of the textbooks because it offends Muslims. Mm. British Airlines, you know, flight attendants, you can't wear a cross uh, because you might offend wow. Muslims. So whatever offends Muslims, uh, our nation has decided to simply uh, submit to their demands and the implications long-term for Europe um, are very difficult. And I'm praying for another great awakening in America. And it's preceded by the by the prayer of God's people and the powerful proclamation of his word. And God did it before. He can do it again. As you know, Rich, you've kindly mentioned to the people, I wrote a book entitled Rescuing the Gospel yes. of the 16th Century. But every era, including ours, needs its own reformation. Amen. You can never look back and say, oh my, look at this in history. You can learn from history. But you have to recreate the same fire. And, of course, you don't do it. I don't mean that. I mean, it's God who does it. But it's the availability of the church to have its own reformation. Rescuing the Gospel is the name of the book. Look for it wherever books are sold, uh, especially in your Christian bookstore and online. And is there a website? Moodymedia.org. Moody. Get used to that. Moodymedia.org. Moodymedia.org. Dr. Irwin Lutcher, the host of the Running to Win broadcast, heard every day here on Bot Radio Network. Thank you for being with Thanks, us. Thanks, Rich.